0: Hey, Amarillo. I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings in Amarillo. You know Lazy Boy as a national brand, but some of its stores are independently owned and operated, including the one in Amarillo. It's owned by the Hawkins family. They live right here in town. Lazy Boy is open for business right now, and almost everything they sell is American-made. And it's a lot more, a whole lot more, than just recliners. Visit Amarillo's locally-owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings today at 3636 Sonsi. Today's guest is Jason Barrett. Now, there are a couple of reasons I wanted to have him on the show. First, we talk a lot about local coffee shops in the 8 Straight section of every podcast. and the 806 coffee shop on 6th street comes up a lot now jason is the owner of the 806 and he's built it into one of the most important businesses on that historic stretch of amarillo and it's one of the most culturally influential small businesses in the city i really believe that second jason lives and works in the san Jacinto area and he has served on the san jacino neighborhood plan advisory committee Now, after the North Heights and the Barrio neighborhoods, San Jacinto is the third historic Amarillo community that's been targeted for a comprehensive neighborhood plan. So I wanted to talk about that, too. We talk about all those things and a whole lot more, including Jason's journey to becoming an entrepreneur and community leader. So here's Jason Barrett. Jason Barrett. Welcome to the Amarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Hello, other Jason.
0: Yeah, the uh, yeah. the other Jason B. Yeah. Um, so it's good to have you. I, I I know that we'll talk about the 806 and San Jacinto and a bunch of other things, but I want to start by asking the question I ask of everybody, which is, why are you here? How did you end up here in Amarillo? Uh,
1: I actually grew up here. Okay. Uh, actually grew up right across Bell from you here. If,
0: in the Ridgecrest, in Ridgecrest area. Yes. All right.
1: And. For some reason, I'm still dumbfounded by trying to find my way in
0: Puckett.
1: I'm surprised I got here early because I left super early. You're not I alone. I figured I was going to wander around. And you be know, like, a lot of umbrella
0: streets I? are nice little grids, and then they just, I yeah, guess yeah. that was not the trend when they developed <laughs> this neighborhood. Let's, I only had a couple of friends over
1: there. here back in the day, and I knew exactly how to get just to their house. Yeah.
0: So do you, but, do you have any idea like how your family Came to Amarillo?
1: Or? Uh, I'm adopted, so a lot of... I know more on my mom's side. Like, my grandparents were both from Oklahoma and okay. randomly met up, and my grandpa fought in World War II and Bakersfield and all that, and that's where my mom was born, but they came back and worked at the old helium plant uh, oh, Okay, south south from here, the original helium the plant. The original
0: one, yeah. So I, I know there's one to the north kind of off of
1: Yeah, I can't remember what it's called 66. and they moved it up here and that's Yeah, one, my grandparents were one of the first houses to be built in Hamlet. Okay. Wow. Way back in the so day. That's Other than historical. Yeah. My uh my dad's side there's not really a lot of clear answers. Apparently, uh great or great grandfather got hung for stealing horses in New Mexico. Okay. And so grandma great grandma whoever it was i don't know uh stood up in church and officially changed the last name so wow yeah cuz you know this like late 1800s yeah, and that's about as far as anybody got when my grandma on my dad's well, side these not- are my adoptive parents mom yeah and dad. right. Yeah, i was adopted at birth so, so that's pretty interesting though to it's have some I've outlaw known, but yeah blood my, the- my grandma died when i was in high school and had in 83 my whole life yeah and when she died, she was eighty-six. I was like, Oh okay. I
0: thought you were That's in your how Hades little for,
1: nobody yeah. even, even my dad, you know, and he he was the youngest of seven though. So Wow. But they tried to go back and they just they hit that dead end of a name change. So
0: So you you grew up in Ridgecrest. For the um, most part. For the most part, okay. I 10. was
1: I was born over in Hamlet. We lived a block away from my grandparents till I was about four. We lived in I rent house in Bivens for a couple of years and I moved over here to Ridgecrest like first grade. My dad had that house till about 10 years ago.
0: Did you end up going to Emerald High?
1: I, uh, unfortunately, yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> those are not good memories. We should, <laughs> we should avoid those. I,
1: I always wanted to go to Tascosa. So, you know.
0: What did you, what was your thought process once you graduated from high school? I mean, did you intend to stay around here? Did you think about leaving?
1: As soon as I graduated, I really didn't have much direction. Uh, my dad worked at Asarco for a million years, so they have a, a program where workers, recent graduates can come out and do a uh, summer hire, basically okay. 90 days, just, just long enough to where you're not afforded the ability to join the union. Right. So I did that, and I just lied and said I was going to college because that's why they do it, so you can get college money. But I really had no intention of going to college at the time, and I never actually ended up going to college. But
0: was there ever any draw in that sort of career for you? I mean, did you end up doing that for any period of time uh, at, at, a, at Sarco? a Sarco? Yeah,
1: uh, I did it for the three months, and then I just went back. I've basically worked in food service, restaurant industry my whole life. Okay, and that's that's about what I did, you know.
0: Did there ever become a point, like, I I know a lot of people can sort of fall into a career, it's not really a choice, that's just what they end up doing, you know, whether it's food service or, or anything like that. Did that feel like what happened with you, or was there ever any of that entrepreneurship where you started thinking, I'm, I'm going to stop working for somebody and kind of start my own place? You know, uh,
1: I mean, I did kind of fall into the restaurant business. I mean, when I was 16, Waffle House was my very first job. I'd never been there, honestly. Really? Yeah. The
0: first time you yeah. went was as a boy. And I?
1: I, the ad in the paper said busboy. And I was like, oh, I'm 16. I can be a busboy. And I showed up. And I had to work at the one. This one, we had two. One on Coulter and one out by the airport. Yeah. And I had to work at the one at the airport, of course, at 6 a.m. Wow. And I showed up for training. And I was like, I'm the new busboy. And they were like, we don't have busboys. And I was like, well, I got hired. And turns out the quote-unquote busboy was a dishwasher. So I only okay. did that for about a month, Then I worked at Wonderland for a while, then slipped into a uh, food service at the old cattle call in the mall and worked there forever. Brief stints of some retail stuff, which I didn't care for. And then I started waiting tables when I was 18 and just kind of did that for quite a while. Then decided I was going to move.
0: And where did you move?
1: I moved to Austin. Okay in 98.
0: How long were you there?
1: It's hard for me to pinpoint. I lived in Austin twice, actually, with a, an almost four-year stint in Florida in between. But altogether, I had lived away from Amarillo for seven years, exactly. Moved oh. back on the same day I moved away seven years later. Seven
0: years exactly? Yeah. When did you move back? What year was that? Do you remember?
1: Uh, When I moved back, it was 2005.
0: Okay. So I want to ask, you know, as someone who lived here for a long time, worked here for a long time, and then left, you know, for seven years, tell me, like, tell me what that, what it was like kind of getting out of Amarillo in this culture and community into a different culture, whether it was Austin, which obviously is very different, Florida, um, which I'm sure, I'm sure is pretty different. So, you know, what did uh, what did you kind of discover once you left here?
1: Uh, well, a little bit of preface. I decided, uh, I guess just, this was my biggest uh, life goal at the time. I decided I was just going to move to a new city every two or three years. Okay. And just just kinda, to kind of explore. Yeah, as- and be like, hey, if, when I decide to stick to a city, I'll know exactly where I want to go. Of course, that didn't work out so well, but yeah it was it was pretty different moving to Austin it was, it was a weird time when I moved away uh, the whole Brian key thing it just happened and mm-hmm. just like the whole community it was just like crazy.
0: Was that your community back then I mean, yeah did I was you kind of fit within that
1: I lot? was loosely involved in a lot of communities but we did hang out in a lot of the same circles you know okay. I remember the night I was at a house party and the house party all went to uh, Western Plaza okay and I was a little messed up, and I was like, I'm going I'm to stay here, mm. you know. <laughs> Maybe a good but choice. Like three or four months later, I guess, is when I moved away. So, so going to Austin and just not really knowing anybody was just like a, a really big culture shift to me. I had a roommate that I'd known from here that had already moved to Austin, and uh, they'd found a house and everything, and I lived in South Austin,
0: was it a good decision for you to get out of Amarillo at that point?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think definitely because it showed me a lot of things, you know, especially you know '90s Amarillo. There, it wasn't a very big uh, hopping culturally.
0: We've come a long way. Yeah,
1: yeah, we have. In actually, even the seven years I was gone, I moved yeah. back. I was like, oh, okay. I, while I was gone, I also only visited once okay. for two so days. So it was a pretty hard break then. Yeah. Like, I talked to my parents on the phone, and that was about it. <laughs> I visited once for two days, and I think it just happened to fall around my dad's birthday. And that was it.
0: So what did you do after you left here? Did you stay in, like, the restaurant work? Yeah. Uh, that it was stuff? just
1: easier for me to get a job. You know, that was always the draw. As far as restaurant work, you know, if you get in a good restaurant and you're serving, you know, you can make pretty good money and flexible schedule. You can... A job just about anywhere, yeah. You know, may not be a good one to start off with, right? Like when I first moved to Austin, I didn't know anything about the restaurants there. I'd visited a few times, but I'd never really gotten a great feel for everything that was going on. So it was definitely a learning experience, and it took me a bit, but I finally uh, figured out what the hell I was doing.
0: So what eventually brought you back to Amarillo?
1: Basically, some mental health kind of stuff. I'd had panic attacks for years. And I just did not address it Mm -hmm. for so long that it turned into panic disorder. Okay. Night a night where I had a panic attack for about 10 hours straight. Wow. And I thought I was losing my mind. And between that and my mom's health was going downhill very rapidly. So I just decided that I just needed to come back, kind of get my act together Helped my dad with my mom. He was still working at a Sarco, you know, and she she needed someone around. Okay. You know, so I moved back. Actually, I moved back in with my parents.
0: Okay. So, like a return to your family and yeah. your stability, I guess, that yeah. like, a lot of that.
1: Yeah. And I really didn't do anything for a few months because <laughs> I just kind of had to get my head together and get on medication and stuff like that, which I'd always tried to avoid to my detriment, apparently. <laughs> So,
0: when did the 806 start? When did you launch that?
1: The idea happened while I was working somewhere else. I won't get into specifics on that, but uh my mom had died in 2006, just over a year after I moved back. Okay. And a few months later, I'd been suspended from the job I was working at. Uh a little backstory on that. I'd always thought I wanted to run like my own restaurant or something like that. And then in, actually in Florida is where I got all my coffee shop experience. Okay. As far as working in a coffee shop, you know, in Austin, you can't not hang out in a coffee shop, but I got all my actual, I ran a Borders Cafe.
0: Oh, wow. You know,
1: old school. Inside
0: a bookstore then. Yeah.
1: And we were like the number three, number two in the country in hmm. sales like every month. It was crazy. And it was Tallahassee, Florida. But yeah, you know, the whole normal, well, if I were in charge, blah, blah, blah. And my dad was just like, "Let's do it." So, 2006, met up with a lawyer, filed all my LLC, all that, got all the paperwork done, and then I was like, "Well, this is weird." So I quit the job that I had, and a friend of mine was going to get me on working with her at a liquor store, and I don't know if you've ever tried that, but
0: working on at a on liquor, her, store? The liquor
1: store, maybe it's just this one. I don't know. It was a twenty-page. Like applications, I had like free interviews, follow-up applications, and then I honestly I would pictured the 806 being around Emerald College area, hmm. but I always also knew I wanted to serve beer and wine, and I just couldn't find anywhere over there. And I was like, oh, Sixth Street, you know, because I used to hang out on Sixth yeah. back in the day when yeah. it was all booming and stuff. We'd go down to Sixth on pretty much every Friday night. I just drove around 6th Street and looked at some buildings. I'd seen the Ferent sign in the window of where the 806 is. And it basically takes up two addresses. Well, it does take up two addresses, but the sign was in one side. And to me, I thought it was two different buildings. Hmm. But finally, I got out of the car and looked. I was like, oh, it's one big building. And I started renting it pretty much right away.
0: And you knew at the beginning that you wanted it to be a coffee shop, but also have the beer and wine yes. availability, and, and which and, is pretty different for Amarillo. Yeah. Mean, why? Why did you think in that direction? Was it the Sixth Street location uh, being surrounded by bars anyway?
1: Really, Sixth Street was a it was a ghost town when I moved back. Okay. I couldn't believe it because you know it was it was crazy when I moved away, but you know a lot of it got shut down for various reasons. You know, at a lot of the coffee shops that I'd been to like, say, in Austin, even the little ones in Florida that I'd go to. A lot of them had, you know, like a couple beers on you know, bottle, maybe one on draft, a couple bottles of wine, and I was like, I want to do that. Just kind of have a good mix of stuff and actually have a decent food menu. We Mm -hmm. started off pretty small as far as food, but we just kind of worked our way up over these last 13 years.
0: From a business perspective, too, I mean you don't just have a morning crowd, you don't just have an evening crowd. It kind of spreads, you know, your yeah. your product, you know, whatever you're selling over the entire day instead of yeah. just having to focus on right. one thing or another.
1: And we, yeah, and we totally do have, you know, our morning crowd that comes in at 7 o'clock in the morning and then we have like an afternoon and an evening crowd, but a lot of them are in multiple times a day, so it just kind of all blurs together anyways.
0: So tell me, you know, now that you're so many years into it and... I guess being kind of a, an accidental business owner, I mean, you thought of it, but there's a lot of steps you have to take to actually do that. Right Now you've been doing it for, you know, 13, 14 years. Um, what's it been like? I mean, what, what have I you I stumbled
1: through a lot of it in the beginning. I'd helped open restaurants and whatnot, but never like from an ownership perspective. So it was a lot of learning for me. And just kind of really, it took me a few years to personally get my act together you yeah, know, to be responsible Yeah, there's, there's a big difference semi-responsible between responsible business owner. Yeah, knowing sure how to make coffee, knowing how
0: to serve food, but like actually being in charge of all that stuff. Yeah. That's a like, big change.
1: And you know, a lot of the stuff we use you can't find in Amarillo. So I still spend a lot of time finding vendors and stuff because like something we carry will be discontinued. Yeah. You know, or whatever that particular vendor's not selling it anymore, so I gotta find somebody else. Like we run out of something a lot of time, unless it's like produce, you know, fruits and vegetables and whatnot. If we run out, you know, we, we're just out.
0: Right. So I can't find any of this
1: stuff in Amarillo that we use,
0: you know? Why is, I mean, is, is that a conscious decision that you're, focus focused on certain ingredients or certain products is, is maybe different from what other places might.
1: Yeah. Uh, you're not I just mean, going to affiliated foods or right. to Benny
0: Keith or somebody to get right, some of right, those right.
1: products. Right. You know, we've always been big on organic, fair trade, more so fair trade than organic. Generally, if it's fair trade, it's going to be organic. Anyways, we've always carried biodegradable cups and Mm -hmm. lids. And, like, I just recently discovered that we can get biodegradable straws finally. You know, stuff like that. You know, the syrups we use, we're just very particular. And I've always been that way. Like, I want
0: this. Was that a personal choice, like something that you were interested in, or was it a choice like on behalf of your customers or to meet certain needs there, Uh to focus on organic food? Starting or off,
1: it was, it was my choice, you know, because I'd moved away, and I'm vegetarian. Okay. And when I moved away, you know, go out to eat, I'd have like a grilled cheese and a salad. That was like living high on the hog going right, out, right. you know, pre-1998, and then I moved back, and it, it was a little bit better, but, you know, all our food's vegetarian, I'm wanted to do that. So that took a lot of research, especially as we expanded our, like our food menu and stuff like that. It was hard for me to source a lot of things in town, you know, and I had very specific ideas and you know, products and stuff like that. So it's always taken me a good amount of research.
0: Has that been part of the appeal? Do you think of the 806? I think
1: so. Cause now, you know, people come in and I literally have, People, customers, regulars, like standing in line next to, say, someone from out of town or someone who's never been there before. And before I even get to that customer, before that customer even gets to the counter, you know, to order, like this regular has already filled them in on like all the stuff. And I'm just like, oh, hey, yeah, <laughs> I guess there's still are a lot order now, of, you know,
0: there's not a lot of vegetarian restaurants or yeah. vegan restaurants. Yeah, we still get a ton from the road.
1: Hmm. You know, from Yelp, for better or worse, and Google, stuff like that. We still pop up in vegetarian and vegan.
0: So you mentioned the regular customers. Um, you know, when I've had discussions about coffee culture in Amarillo, there's a number of coffee shops. Um, you know, some, like Roasters, have been around forever. Uh, some, like Palace, are a little bit newer. And they all have a distinct personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what what is the personality of the 806? Like... Looking at what it is, what it's become, who its customers are, what what role does it play within that culture?
1: Uh, I don't know if you saw that meme that had a Jack Black. I I think I did, but go ahead. This is a visual or not a visual medium, so tell uh, people about it. I just remember uh, the eight oh six was a rock star Jack Black, kinda, and the other one was like a teacher, right? I can't I can't remember it, but actually, a customer of ours made that. That that thing went viral, and I think it fits. You know, we have live music, uh, especially our first few years. Amarillo didn't know what the hell to think of us, you know, because we were just kind of hedonistic, having crazy punk shows and whatnot. We had nude art on the walls. Mm-hmm. The cops got called on us for drugs and porn. Repent, Amarillo. You yeah. know, all this crazy stuff over the years. So people still. Amarillo they're like oh I just heard about you guys and a lot of people come in and they just you can just see the look on their face like they've entered like a whole new dimension of Amarillo. And they just like, thought
0: it was going to be a coffee shop they didn't know it was. Yeah and they
1: like they just seem kind of freaked out and they're like well do you have lattes I'm like yeah we have lattes. I don't know it's, it's just kind of funny because you can tell we we still have people that'll walk in like some of the little antiquers, mm-hmm. you know, on 6th Street, they'll walk in and like slowly back out the front door again.
0: Do you, you think know? the controversies, whether it's about the art on the wall or, you know, patrons of, of the shop or anything like that, have those ultimately been helpful in kind of establishing your reputation? Maybe in the community?
1: Uh, or- I think so. I mean, I'm sure there are probably negative aspects to it as well. But I think for the most part, it's been beneficial you know, I mean, I've made a lot of like when we first open, I decided long before we opened that Marty Lemons was going to be our first artist. And I would set that up like six months before we opened. And He's why ha- was
0: that? Why make that? Uh, he
1: his work was all nude and it was kind of it wasn't like it wasn't like your super realistic portraiture. He had a distinct style. It was all nude. And I'd already talked to him about it at the time. He had had a gallery and studio up at sunset mm-hmm. and he was closing that. And the lunar lounge, the back lounge in the shop, we'd finished. And I was like, just bring it all over here. You know, cause he lived out way South Georgia. So he just basically brought his entire studio of artwork over to the 806 and we just sealed the room off and it sat there until we opened, but I made a very conscious decision for that to be our first art show,
0: why? Like, why make that decision? I just wanted to decision? set the tone. I just wanted okay, to set the tone because you 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 know you're making a decision that's a little bit controversial. That yeah, may make some of your potential customers uncomfortable if they're uncomfortable with new right. art, anything like that. Right, that, and that was a conscious choice.
1: Art, you know, just talking with Marty and being friends with Marty for so long. He's like, I haven't been able to show in a gallery in twenty years or something until I opened my own studio. You know, nude art is a very common form of art over the last two thousand years. Yeah. You know, so well, and they probably there's a lot of that. Are I'm fine like, with... okay, you know, we're not gonna do your little live, laugh, love portraits up on the wall, <laughs> or fluffy, fuzzy bunnies or Southwest art and yeah. stuff. You know, so I wanted to make a statement because to me, the art was really important. Okay. Is it or is still a very important part of the 806 experience? So I just kind of want to set the tone right away. Like, we're going to be showing art, you know, love it or hate it. You know, that's kind of what art is supposed to provoke anyways. And this is who we are. I mean, we have a drink called the Star (laughs) on the menu. We're like, we're all adults here, you know, and we have tons of people that bring kids in and stuff all the time. But we have had people complain, you know, over the years. All the time,
0: and is that is that something that bothers you at this point, or is that no, just?
1: It's never bothered me, honestly. I'm just like it's art
0: because it kind of fits in with the culture you've established. I mean, yeah. if, if anything, when people tell me, "Oh, my favorite coffee shop is at the 806," they tend to be people who are a little bit more artsy, a little bit maybe more on the edges of of culture, you know, as opposed to a, you know suit and tie businessman.
1: Right. Right, and we. We get all types in there. We get your 80-year-olds, your 12-year-olds, your families, your businessmen. We get everybody in there. Everyone always assumes we have like... I mean, we do have probably a good portion of the crowd is like 20s, early 30s. But I mean, just like any coffee shop, honestly. But we get, and we get everyone in there. It's never bothered me. I'm kind of proud of what we've been able to do. You know, we pushed a few envelopes here and there and gotten a few local newspapers blacklisted here and there because they did an interview and there was a picture with a naked person way back in the background. Yeah. You know, cause they were interviewed inside the 806. You got to really frame you know, that shot. Yeah. You know? So it's just like, it's, it's to me, it's whatever. Like repent Amarillo was great.
0: Oh we, yeah. We were yeah. barely
1: open and I'm kind of responsible for breaking that story. Cause somebody called up and they were like, have you heard of repent Amarillo? And I was like, No. And we had we'd maybe been open a year, so yeah, I had a lot of time to just mess around online. They're like, "You're on some weird map. Have you seen this map?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, "It's like uh, religious Amarillo, blah, something Amarillo." And I f- I got online, and I googled it, and I found the website, and I found the map, and we were listed on there for a few things. So I started sharing it around.
0: What were the offenses that, uh, that we, had we had three?
1: We had three. One of them was promoting a homosexual agenda. A pagan hotspot was the second one. And I can't for the life of me remember the third. I know there were three. Probably nude
0: art or something.
1: You know, who knows? So we should probably say,
0: if if there may be listeners that don't even remember Repent Amarillo, which hasn't been active in the last few years that I've seen, but they used to go around to strip clubs and bars and places that they disagreed with and, and have very public prayer services and all yeah, kinds of and things
1: like protests. I feel kind of bad for playing my part in and unleashing them on an unsuspecting population. Cause well, at the time they were a website. Then I started sharing it around and like within two weeks I had like every news station in the eight Oh six, which was great for us. We hadn't been open that long. Yeah. You know, we opened in August, 2007, the economy tanked right after that. Hmm. So, but we suddenly got all, all this the pagan advertising, and I got all these people that were like, "Oh, we didn't know a cool place like this yeah, existed in it's town." It's a
0: coffee shop that caters yeah. to all of us pagans, so yeah,
1: like, or whatever. And I'm just like, "We're just here, man. Yeah. You know, we're just here to do our thing."
0: Tell me about the San Jacinto neighborhood. I know that you guys have been really involved, you know, just from a, a charitable standpoint in supporting that neighborhood.
1: Right, right. I mean, I love the neighborhood. I've lived down there. I was trying to think last night. I've lived down in San Jacinto since 2009. So, not even a year and a half after the 806 opened. I just, I love the neighborhood. I love the diversity, you know, all the weird little things about it, you know, because it's a historic neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It was its own town at one point, and the Route 66 made it kind of a little funky. I, I just love the neighborhood and the people in it, and most of the businesses are great, you know. I love doing the work, you know, in the community. And I feel it's important that businesses give back to their community, I whether feel- it be the immediate community, which is what I like to focus on, because it's, it has been or had been, you know, a community that basically been ignored for the last mm-hmm. fifty years. You know, I'm on the San, Just you know, our nonprofit that we started is Sanjack Coalition, and that's you know, we do the creepy crawl. Uh, bad magic, uh, the school supply fundraiser, which we ba- mostly do out of the 806, but we usually involve uh, Golden Light and some other businesses okay. as well. But this year with COVID, you know, we didn't have our big party like we usually do. We did a lot of online stuff, and we still raised a great amount of money, so I could buy school supplies for the kids at Sandstone Elementary School. But I've also been involved, you know, with the neighborhood grants, like yeah. the barrio, barrio, the North playing. Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanderson is the third one. and I've been in that. I was on the advisory committee.
0: Tell me a little bit about the neighborhood. You know, when you talk about it being ignored, because I know a lot of people think of Sixth Street as being a place that they've gone to, they visited. It you know, it's it's had its ebbs and flows, but it generally mm-hmm. seems healthy. Yeah. You can drive down that street, there's business yeah, there. It, it's but really nobody blown goes up over like, the last ten years. Yeah, a block or two north or south of it you can end up in some you know some pretty run down neighborhoods some poverty is yeah. i mean why why is that tell me about that neighborhood and how it's kind uh, of been ignored
1: you know it has been ignored by the city there haven't been a lot of improvements you know the lighting is still from the 60s half the neighborhoods like sodium lights so it's super dark back in the day there was a big drug problem in the neighborhood but that's 90% gone okay off to according to the police areas, like Bivens and hmm. Nuevo Amarillo, as we like to call it. Right. I guess everyone watched Weeds, and they were like, oh, we need to move to the burbs, so nobody suspects us. But yeah, it's just a lot of infrastructure is bad. You know, throughout the neighborhood, it's slowly improving. That's something we've been trying to work with the city to address through the Neighborhood Association. Uh, I kind of put the, the coalition, as far as you know what we're doing in the neighborhood, on the back burner while I kind of figure out what the, the SJNA is what we call SJ in a San Jacinto neighborhood association. We're basically on that. We're addressing a lot of things I wanted to address with the San Jac coalition. Sure. So I've just kind of been, I've kind of kept that on hold other than our big events and stuff till I can figure out, you know, maybe a way we can supplement like San Jac coalition can supplement the work that the neighborhood association's doing vice versa. A lot of the infrastructure run down. Property values have gone down. And the biggest, one of the biggest issues that I've identified and then as an organization we've been able to identify are just uh, slumlords. Hmm. They come in and they buy up 20 houses. Uh, they put them up on HUD and they get a certain amount, you know. And then they just don't keep up with the properties. There's no
0: real incentive to improve. Yeah, they're
1: just sitting there making money, and they're not improving properties. I've heard of people, you know, living in houses that don't have like floorboards in the living room, hmm. but they're afraid to say anything because they, they can't afford to move. Or like a few years ago, we have two HUD providers: City of Amarillo and then uh, Panhandle Community Services. Okay, are the two HUD voucher? Whatever you call it, distributors, distributors. Issu- yeah, know. I don't know the, I don't know I the don't term. Know. Organiz- I don't know. Somebody will tell us. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure I'll get a lot of comments about this. But uh, last time they did inspections was a few years ago, from what I've been told. And a lot of times they didn't even enter the houses. And of course, you know, the tenant's going to be like, "Yes, everything's fine." Yeah. Yeah, they never left front porch. So. That That is something I think like the coalition can address. Yeah. And maybe... So I think if we address the housing... Because we basically do have a housing crisis down there because there are a lot of landlords that own multiple properties that just, just let them fall apart yeah. around their tenants. And they're just getting all this money and they're not putting a single dime of it back into the property itself.
0: And obviously... That's a humanitarian issue if you care about people, right? But Sixth Street is like one of Amarillo's main tourism draws. I mean, if if you look at what are the top five things to do in Amarillo, Sixth Street is always one of them because a lot of the population
1: won't or has never been down to Sixth Street. Yeah, I I still get people. You know, we've been there. We've been open thirteen years. I've been at the property almost fourteen years now because I had to rehabilitate my property as well. But, uh, you know, people are like, oh, we haven't been down here in 20 years, you know, or I've never been down here. Of course, people from out of town. So I've always pushed, you know, for a lot of the businesses to engage locally. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. Go buy a billboard, you know, outside of town. But your best word of mouth is going to be citizens. You and know? the stuff that we I'm not going to look at billboards to find something to do. I'm going to, like, if I'm staying in a hotel or in town with a family, I'm going to be like, hey, what's a cool spot? Yeah. You know?
0: And if we're promoting a certain part of Amarillo, it makes sense that we should invest in that part of Amarillo. I mean, you want right. it to remain attractive. to right. Not just to the people that live there to have that community pride, but the people who visit here and are going to drive through there, you don't want their perception of Amarillo to be this really cool street surrounded by, you know, dilapidated houses. Yeah,
1: and, and, and it's not all like that. I mean, it varies block by block.
0: There's some still some very nice houses yeah, that are well tended. Yeah, there's some great and,
1: blocks. There's... Whole great street, whole great sections of the neighborhood, you know, and then you'll just come across like a house that's just like falling in on itself, and then you realize somebody's actually living there. You drive by it again; it has a for sign, and it says HUD accepted. And I'm mm. like, uh huh. I think through this whole city, San Jacinto, which is what's the turning into the San Jacinto Neighborhood Association. We're waiting on our nonprofit designation right right now. Just. The whole year of the advisory committee before we even started this stuff this year, the neighborhood association, just so many like demographics, statistics, and I think I hate to even say it, but I believe it's like sixty or eighty percent of the HUD homes of Amarillo are located in San Jacinto. Wow, which is just like mind blowing, surprising. And then when you, you know, I drive around because I like to know. I live there, you know. I always have friends looking for places, so I do like I know, and I, I just like to drive around the neighborhood, you know, see what's going on. But I'll see, like the like. Oh, I thought that house was abandoned. It's for rent now, hmm. and HUD accepted, you know. And it's like we need to start holding these landlords accountable.
0: Exactly, because
1: yeah, yeah. I feel like if we fix like the housing crisis a lot of other dominoes will fall, you know, like take care of your property, you know, stray pets, for example. If you're going to allow pets, you need to maintain the fence on your rental property, you know, so we don't have all these stray dogs that are getting out because they don't, you know. I've lived in two houses where they're like, yeah, pets are fine, but like half my yard's missing a fence. Hmm. And we have some coming home houses, you know, in the neighborhood, and I think the city's finally starting to hold them to their end of the bargain, those property owners, because I've been seeing a lot of work being done and improvements being done on just the one or two that I know that are coming home houses. You know, I'm like, oh, that looked like it was about to cave in yeah. two years ago. And now they're like doing all this stuff. You know, So that's cool. So I think, yeah, there's just a lot of things. But for the most part, I think a lot of the housing situation is due to slumlords. Maybe a small minority, maybe like elderly people. We have we do have a good chunk of elderly people that just can't. They're on a fixed you income. You know, and that's and something I'm hoping to address through the Sanchak coalition. If I'm not able to, maybe I can push it. You know, with the neighborhood association, or maybe we can work together on it. Because there is a weird disconnect between Sixth Street and a lot of the neighborhood. A lot of people, like in the neighborhood. Like they'll eat, they'll eat at the restaurants or maybe hit up a couple of the bars, see some live music, stuff like that. But like a lot of the stores and shops and even even some of the restaurants, you know, they, they don't go in there, they can't afford it. Mm. Uh, some don't feel welcome in some places and vice versa. To me, especially with the neighborhood association, since I get the opportunity to directly speak on both sides of the fence on that, I can be like, hey, uh, you gotta realize this isn't all about business, you know, and this isn't it's mostly about the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and that involves six streets businesses fine, and homes. For the most part. For the most part, six streets fine. You can always do fun stuff, but a lot of the stuff's already there. We have all the music venues, more music venues than the rest of town. A lot of people consider it the cultural hub. Yeah. I'm like, we need to take care of our neighbors basic tenant of almost everything.
0: Exactly. I want to close up this section. I I know that you lived in Amarillo in the 80s and 90s and then left, came back, and didn't just come back, but came back open to business. Now you're a business owner. And so you've seen a lot of different sides of the city, and you've seen a lot of changes Mm -hmm. over 20, 25, 30 years. What are some of the most welcome changes that you've seen?
1: You know, I think Amarillo is a lot more welcoming to non-stereotypical Amarillo, good old boy kind of mindset people. I I think it's more welcoming.
0: I mean, that's your clientele in a a lot of cases at the 806. Uh,
1: I feel like there are people who are slowly becoming more opportunities for like, say, small business owners outside of the mainstream, Mm -hmm. you know, like downtown or Sauncy or... Coulter and Hillside. I don't know. That's what we call Nuevo Amarillo. You know, like a lot of people are like, hey, I can open up this neighborhood business right here in my neighborhood. Yeah. And a lot of them are amazing. I hear reviews, read reviews. I try to make it when I can, though with COVID, I'm just like, what can I find on Grubhub? But I've tried a million new places just on Grubhub like once a week, you know, since quarantine because so I still don't feel comfortable eating inside a restaurant unless they have a patio. But not many places do. But I've been trying a lot of stuff, plus being vegetarian, that does kind of limit me. I'm like, you know, people ask me, I'm like, well, here's this one great thing, you know, I've heard of, like the North Heights Discount Cafe. Yeah. You know, like I have heard nothing but amazing stuff. And I'm like, okay. And I've looked at the menu. I'm like, well, I really can't.
0: It's a lot of brisket there. Yeah.
1: I can't. I really can't eat anything there, but I'll tell as many people about it as I can. There's a lot of. You know, especially uh, traditional stuff and most cuisines, you know, they use a lot of lard or mm-hmm. chicken stock or whatnot. And I can't even do that. So I still have to be pretty selective. But I think I think people are starting to be like, OK, I'm going to I'm just going to do this. And that, I mean that's kind of where I was. I did have a little help. You know, my dad. Well, you
0: had your dad, you know, kind of suggesting yeah. it.
1: Yeah, and he helped me financially get it going. Then I was like, "All right, we're going to pay you back." And He was like, "No, this was your college money that you never used." And he said that judgmentally, but at the same time, not. Yeah, yeah. You know how parents can yeah. be like, "Here's this backhanded compliment," but kind then of you thing. you still yeah. made something I'm like,
0: yeah, I'm, with it.
1: I wasn't planning on staying in Amarillo when I moved back, so I thought I'd open a business because that makes sense.
0: And here you are. (laughs) And here I am. 14 years later. Yep. Okay, this space is usually reserved for a sponsor message. But I'm not going to do that in this episode. What I want to do instead is encourage you to vote. This is a presidential election year. And of course, every presidential election is important. Every congressional election is important. But due to a number of factors, the coronavirus The hurricanes and wildfires, the civil rights protests and racial unrest, a lot of the uncertainty about voting and the transfer of power. For all those reasons, this election feels more monumental than usual. And there's a lot of interest. There's also a lot on the line, so I just want to encourage you to go vote. To avoid the long lines and avoid any Election Day concerns, I intend to vote early. This episode is being released on October 12th. Early voting starts October 13th and it lasts until October 30th. That's six days longer than usual. So to vote early in Potter County, go to the Santa Fe building, to Casey Carpet 1 at 3500 I-40, to United Amigos on East I-40 and Grand, Hillside Christian Church Northwest on Tascosa Road, or to Cornerstone Outreach at 1111 North Buchanan. To vote early in Randall County, head to the Randall County Annex in Amarillo, the Southwest Branch Library in Amarillo, Comanche Trail Church of Christ in Amarillo or the Randall County Justice Center in Canyon. But go vote. Okay, I'm back with Jason Barrett of the 806. Jason, this is the part of of the show I call Eight Straight. Uh, Eight Straight is sponsored every week now by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, but it also has a lot of art galleries, which I know you appreciate. Um,
1: it's the largest in Texas?
0: It's the largest history museum in Texas. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I was not aware of that. So it's the only permanent uh, gallery in the state devoted to Texas art. So we're talking about eight straight. I know they've got works from uh, way more than eight Texas artists. but I don't
1: get to go there as often as I like, but every time I've been there, I'm like, oh, I never knew this was here.
0: And you it's, know. I'm always surprised by the artwork. I feel like
1: there. I find different parts of the building. Yeah. So, like I go yeah. in
0: there thinking, all right, I'm going to see dinosaurs or I'm going to see right. oil derricks. And there's like, oh man, there's this, like the all these giant town, rooms. The little old
1: town. Yeah. The pioneer town.
0: Pioneer town. Yeah. Yeah. Some incredible art there. Yes. Um, so I appreciate uh, Panhandle Plains. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. All right. Eight straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Okay, Your job uh, is to answer those in as much detail as you want.
1: Just just a little warning. I thought I would uh, do some research on these yeah. and be like super prepared and have notes. And then I didn't, and I thought that'd be best. Okay, So just who knows it. where this is going to go?
0: We'll see what happens. <laughs> What's one thing the last few months have revealed to you about Amarillo regarding the pandemic, the protests, any of that stuff?
1: For the longest time, I've believed that Amarillo is like its own microcosm for America as a whole. Like a lot of things about America are directly just on display or reflected here in Amarillo. So, I mean, everything we've gone through this year, be it, you know, COVID, actual COVID and fake COVID Mm -hmm. and, you know, conspiracy stuff, Black Lives Matter business owners on their rooftops with guns during a March, just all this craziness. Uh, my business partner, Courtney had somebody throw an oatmeal at her because she wouldn't let them in or serve them without a mask on. I don't know. Everything you see on the news is literally happening, happening right here in Amarillo. And I've always felt that this year has really just brought it out. You know, even, you know, you go into the socioeconomics and uh, communities of color, uh, like just all down the list, like everything that I feel like that has been revealed about America. Everything's just laid bare this yeah. year. And Amarillo's like just totally reflecting that. Yeah. you know I mean we can even point at our little Daughters of the Confederacy statue at Elwood Park. The city itself is still pretty segregated. Uh, you know, not even by race, but by economics.
0: We think of ourselves as... The story we tell a lot is that we're isolated and we just kind of do our own thing up here. But it, you're right. It turns out that a lot of the problems that have plagued everywhere else in the yeah. United States are encapsulated here, too. Yeah,
1: and like voting. I mean, I think we actually have a worse voting record than the national average. Mm-hmm. You know, voter apathy, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And just people getting involved and like doing their research, like, Oh, I'm just going to share this or just spout this off, yeah. you know, in a random conversation. And it's like, what are you talking about? Kind of thing. You know, it's completely, I've always felt that way, but like this year it's just like solidified it yeah. for me, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, where you're just like, what are we doing? You know, and all in the middle of where you're basically having to stay home for, you know, two or three months. So the when a lot of this stuff was really blowing up, it's like, what can we do? You know, yeah. I don't know. It's it's been a crazy year, and I think Amarillo just reflects America as a whole. And it's become even more apparent to me this year that it's like, yeah, we're we're not this perfect little community that a lot of people like to believe that we are. But I think that's America too.
0: What does this area have too much of?
1: Other than churches, I'd say we have too many Teuton totems and bank branches. Well, bank branches in the parts of town that really don't need, you know, 5 bank branches within 2 blocks of them. And we have too many uh corporate businesses.
0: Okay. What does this area not have enough of?
1: Mom and pop places. Okay. That get full support and not like small businesses that cater to, like, people with lots of money. You know, we need affordable places. And I also think the biggest thing I think we need more of is neighborhood markets. Yeah. Amarillo is just one big food desert.
0: Especially San Jacinto area.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the closest one we have is three miles away. But if you just look around town, it's like we have United's, and those are five, ten miles apart, Mm -hmm. and a food desert is nothing within a mile, I believe. Yeah. Technically speaking, so yeah, we need we need local neighborhood markets. What's you
0: know? keep, I mean, what's keeping those from the San Jacinto area? Let's say, I mean, is, uh, is I know people something... that are
1: working on stuff on one.
0: I know there there's discussions about it. Yeah, but like United is not saying, "Oh, here is a place that really needs a supermarket. Let's put one there." Like right. those big businesses are not making that decision.
1: Right. I think it's just a matter of of people realizing there is an opportunity. And being able to put together such a thing, realizing that there are resources here in Amarillo that can help you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like maybe the SBDC or, you know, there may be a a grant program, you know, through stuff like that. And I think people are slowly starting to realize, like I mentioned earlier, that they can open up their own little small businesses and they don't have to have a ton of overhead, you know. I mean, one person runs a whole toot and totem, and that's, that's basically our neighborhood market, yeah. you know, it anymore. Really, how
0: do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area?
1: Uh, I used to describe Amarillo as a suburb without the big city to go into. Hmm.
0: That's an interesting description.
1: But now I just go back to, we're America. You take all the things about America, and you put them in a town of like 200,000 people, that's Amarillo.
0: Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant,
1: other than your own? That changes weekly, honestly. I don't tend to stray far away from San Jacinto. I love Punjabi Affair. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Uh, Yellow City Street food. I don't get to go there enough. I love Crush. recently ate it rain the other day for the first time. That was really good. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I get stuck on things, and like I just want veggie fried rice for two weeks. Yeah. There have been times where I'm like, I just want Taco Bell, you know, for like a week straight. I'm like, I just want bean burritos. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's a really hard question for me. Those
0: are all good options. (laughs) So what's the most underrated aspect of living in Amarillo? I'm going to go back
1: to the potential. Okay. Amarillo has a ton of potential and you just, I think we just got to know where to look. Like we have so many empty buildings around town that people can get. They're in the middle of neighborhoods but they've been sitting empty or you know whatever yeah. for like the last 10 or 15 years. You know, and I think a lot of those places even old like kind of the small strip, the old school strip malls, you know like say around plains yeah. like you know in the middle From of the town. From the 60s and stuff. You know, in the middle of town and I'm like why does everything have to be on Sonsi? Of course, a lot of that's chain stuff out there, but it'd be nice, like this restaurant opened like on planes, or they made a grocery store out of the old grocery store that used to be yeah. there. You know, uh, seems we, like a good there's idea. just a ton of potential. You know, that I think people are, I do think people are starting to slowly take advantage of and realize, but there's just so much. You know, there's still a growing art scene. We had a great music scene that was really strong for a good 10 years mm-hmm. straight, which is unusual for, Amar- for Amarillo because it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit yeah. generally.
0: Hopefully that'll pick back up.
1: Yeah, let's, hopefully, I think it will. I, th- I have high hopes on that, being one of those venues.
0: When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch, speaking of the art scene?
1: I'm not a very good (laughs) Amarilloan. I think it's probably been close to 10 years since I've actually been out there. That seems pretty legit. That's not
0: a place that locals really go to.
1: Yeah. I mean, I grew up here, so to me it's it's moved around a few times, so it's just kind of weird in that way, too. It's like, oh, this is great permanent. No, it's not. It's moved like three times in my lifetime. Even going out of town, I don't like to do touristy things, much okay. less touristy things in my own town.
0: That, that's totally <laughs> legit. Um, okay, th- here's, a, here's a new question, and you're going to be my guinea pig for this one. I'm going to start asking the next few weeks, but the bond election to fund a new Amarillo Civic Center is on the ballot in November. It's coming up. How do you feel about that project?
1: Uh, I have mixed feelings about that project. Uh, you know, Obviously, the Civic Center could use a little updating. I mean, I think most of it looks fine. I mean, you have to look past, I mean, or appreciate a lot of the like 60s feel yeah. to some of the, but some of the other areas are like totally updated, you know, and like I've been to been to a banquet there and I was like, dang, this is nice. And then, you know, across the street, there's the Globe News Arts Center, which I think kind of took over for a lot of the live music or whatnot that the Civic at least Center at a certain used size, to. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean the Civic Center used to host all that kind of stuff and now it's the Globe News Center. So yeah, I mean I can see where they're coming from. It's a little confusing for me. I actually I hadn't been to Hodgetown, which I also had mixed feelings about. I kinda understand, you know, especially like tying in some of the City Hall stuff. If that's still on the table, last Mm -hmm. I knew that was part of the Civic Center expansion, remodel, you know, try to tie in City Hall. So that could be an interesting project. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, we have all that and a lot of people in Amarillo can't afford to go to a lot of the events that they host. I feel like, sure, you know, improve some stuff, make some improvements there, here, there. I don't know. I I don't know the whole architectural foundational issues with anything at the Civic Center, you know. But to me, I also think, hey, throw, throw some money back into the community. Now we have a lot of neighborhoods, not just San Jacinto, that could really use some care and attention around town.
0: Okay, you so know. that concludes the eight straight questions. Jason, I'd like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience?
1: I would like to endorse San Jacinto.
0: Okay. Just uh, as a neighborhood. Sixth
1: Street is great. There's a great neighborhood behind it, very diverse, welcoming, and you know, lots of great people. We have some great nonprofits doing great work in the neighborhood. You know, we have mine. San Jack Coalition, the up and coming San Jacinto Neighborhood Association. We have the Square Mile Community. Mm-hmm. I don't want to Community butcher the name. Square Mile Square Mile uh, Axe Community Center. YCCO does work in the neighborhood. You know, and we're working on some other stuff. So there's there's lots of lots of inter- opportunities for whatever you're into, basically. You and if nothing down. else, go check you out Sixth Street, to San Jack, Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, Jason Barrett, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jason Barrett for the interview and to Lazy Boy Home Furnishings for sponsoring this episode. For voting information, please visit pottercountyvotes.com or randallcounty.com. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight every week. To support this podcast financially, which I would love it if you would consider, visit patreon.com slash That's Patreon with an E. Supporters of Hey Amarillo through Patreon include executive producers Barbara and Jim Witten, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Griselda, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Wes Reeves, Katie Linger, Neil Nossaman, Jess Heredia, Ryan Pennington, and Joshua Rafe. This has been episode 166. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.